From the McCourtney Institute for Democracy on the campus of Penn State University, I'm Michael Berkman. And I'm Chris Beam. I'm Jenna Spinelli, and welcome to Democracy Works. Today, guys, we are talking about election security, and joining us is Bill Theobald, who is a senior writer at an organization called The Fulcrum, which is a new nonprofit news site that covers democracy-related issues. So this issue of uh, election security is one that we've talked about before, uh, especially with our good friend Laura Rosenberger and how what exactly the Russians did or didn't do and what we can expect in the 2020 election. Yeah, this is kind of a different take because he's coming at it from the perspective really of what the states are doing. Right, and and what they can do with respect to uh, uh, technology or the risks associated with technology and and what does it really mean for um, our elections. Yeah. Right. Highlight some interesting trade-offs that we have to think about in terms of election security, ones that we don't talk about that often in terms of making it, you know, taking advantage of technology to make it easier to vote, to Mm -hmm. perhaps expand voting, which on the other hand makes it all the easier to hack into our election systems. Right. And and, uh, how do you... In some ways... Old methods may be the better method. Right. Well, but but they're also the slower. They're also yeah. the, le- the less convenient. So, right? so to be clear on what we're talking about, I mean, you know, there, there are states that have experimented with, and you hear lots of talk about, for example, why don't we vote online? Mm-hmm. Why don't we vote from the comfort of our homes? Mm-hmm. Why don't we vote on our phone like we do everything else? And, and there are states that have vote by mail, and people really love it because they can sit at their kitchen table. Well, and vote look by mail, I put in a different category because vote by mail is old technology. But so some of the same issues here with the fact is if people could vote from their home, there'd probably be more people voting. Sure. Um, the other thing that makes uh, voting different is that nobody cares about elections until there's an election. And so the idea that we're going to spend money on new technology and spend the money to make these things secure and to make sure that all our, our um, oh, I think firewalls record, are up to date are very expensive. And nobody record, wants to spend that money. I think the record suggests otherwise, actually. I mean, after the after debacle of 2000, no, I was going to say 2010, oh, oh, of 2000 because, election, yeah, yeah. there was a major piece of bipartisan legislation passed that provided all kinds of money to the states to modernize their voting, to standardize ballots to a certain extent. I can't remember the name of that law. Something like America Votes. But you mean HAVA? Oh, Help America Votes Act? Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. So, it, 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 you know, that was in reaction to what had happened in Florida. So the idea that Americans can't that Congress can't come together enough to act. I think that's probably true, even though I think, as you say, uh, historically, this is one of the few kind of remaining bipartisan issues, right? Right, right. And we have seen bipartisan action in response to real problems in our voting. Yeah, I think I think I would... So I wouldn't accept the idea that it's impossible to think about us coming together to do something about this. Yeah. In the current environment, feels awfully unlikely. The only thing I would add to that is I think that um, federalism is is one of the things that makes this harder because every state is going to not only have its own way of doing it, but it's also going to have its own sense of like, no, no, this is how we do it in North Carolina. Consider the possibility that federalism actually is an important safeguard here. Interesting. Um, It's both, isn't it? Because you have to hack, you know, let's say that your goal is to hack the American presidential election. Well, you have to get into counties all over the country. Mm-hmm. You have to get into states all over the country. There's no connection 
between the voting systems in one state and those in another. They're, True. Not, they're not connected in any True. kind right. of way. If you did not have that sort of protection of federalism, then a hack into the election system would be a hack into the whole country's election system. Much more difficult, I would think, to find and to control. Well, and I a would, lot more damage can be done. Now, I say this without being, I'm not a computer security expert, but right. I play one on podcasts, <laughs> and, I, and I think that that would probably be an issue. So, you know, the other thing to that point, Michael, is, you know, if you are sophisticated enough, as these bad actors clearly are, you know where down to the county you have to go to be able to, to pinpoint the, the votes you want to influence. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can uh, you can target swing districts, you can target swing counties, and you don't really even have to get in. <laughs> All you have to do is say you got in, and there might be enough uncertainty, enough anxiety about it, because we've we've talked about this before, Chris. There, you know, Believing in the legitimacy of an election is really critical to a mm-hmm. democracy. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I think that that was my point as well. That it doesn't matter if they're if they're effective. It only matters if people think they're effective or are worried that they were effective. And we already have enough reason, right? Florida and Illinois, both in 2016, to demonstrate that it's not inconceivable that people could hack into our elections. And if that's true, and if that thought is in people's mind, I just don't think it would take that much especially if it were closer, you know, if it were a state that was, you know, pivotal in the race for people just to say, yeah, but this isn't legitimate. Yeah. So let's uh, go to my interview with Bill Theobald to hear more about his work on election security and about the fulcrum's work in general. This is Jenna Spinelli here today with Bill Theobald. Bill, thank you for joining us on Democracy Works. I'm glad to be here. So uh, before we dive in and start talking about election security, uh, mm-hmm. you are a reporter at an organization called The Fulcrum, which might be new to some of our listeners. Can you sure. just quickly uh, explain to us what it is and, and what you specifically cover? Well, The Fulcrum was created by a nonprofit called Issue One, and they are focused on trying to do and encourage democracy reform and the leadership of that organization uh, concluded that there was a, so much going on in this area of democracy reform that it, and it, not a lot of it was getting covered in the media. So we c- created our own uh, media operation, and our only focus is on democracy reform issues, uh, voting, gerrymandering, ethics, uh, every aspect of trying to improve the operation of of the democracy, which obviously everybody I think agrees is is struggling and has a lot of problems that need to be dealt with. So that's all we report about, and and we're not uh, prescriptive. We aren't saying this is what should be done, but we are passionate about the idea that there needs to be some improvement in our situation, where you know everybody I think agrees that. Things are not working very well, and we need to do something to try to improve that. So we just write about that, those subjects all the time. Great. And then uh, I know your beat or or maybe one of your beats in particular is on election security. Absolutely. Yes. Great. Yep. We uh, obviously with this, uh, uh, what happened in 2016 with the Russians, um, you know, hacking or trying to hack into our election system and do other things to disrupt uh, the election. That is a huge issue and growing more interested. People are more interested as the 
as the fall election approaches. And so we're devoting uh, a lot of resources just to that subject for this time period. And, and that's one of the things I cover. Right. So you, you said two things that I, that, that I want to pick up on. You said that the Russians in 2016 were, were hacking or trying to hack. So which, which, which was it? Or, you know, what was, what was the extent okay. of, of, you know, what we know about what happened in 2016? Well, I think one thing I've learned in the process of being a reporter covering this subject is I believe the public thinks that a, a lot more happened than really did happen. I, I think it was so shocking that somebody tried to do this, that the fact that they were unsuccessful sort of gets lost. There are really only two things that we know about in which they actually broke into some particular system. One is the Illinois uh, voter registration rolls. And apparently they downloaded some names of, uh, of people who are registered to vote. Nothing was changed. And also there was some attempts and maybe success to break into some election uh, offices, computers in Florida, but there's not entirely clear what they uh, actually accomplished. And the bottom line is no votes were changed. No voter names were taken off or added to the voting roles. Again, I think people were so outraged and concerned about it that they think that things were a lot worse than they were. Not that it's a good thing that people were trying to break into our election system, but even though we weren't that prepared last time, they did not succeed in if their ultimate goal was to try to change votes or change voter registration rules. Now, they may have succeeded, frankly, in creating this feeling of, of uncertainty, which is really what some people are really uh, concerned about now. Yeah, and and to that point, I mean, it's certainly I guess even just the the threat or or the the perception was enough to drive what what seemed like some substantive changes in in states across the country, which I know has been the focus of you know much of your your work recently. Absolutely, um, you published uh, an article at the the beginning of December talking specifically about election security in thirteen swing states, places like Arizona, Florida, our own Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan. And I, I'm just wondering what kind of drew you to, to focusing on swing states in particular. I think you could maybe make the argument that, you know, election security should matter in, in all 50 states, not just, just swing states. I, I, it does matter in all 50 states. I think the point we were trying to, to make and, and we we're trying to focus the story a little bit as opposed to trying to go through every state we wanted to try to focus on those states that are going to be considered critical in deciding who becomes president, who wins the presidential election. And so that was why we we did that. And also some of the states like Pennsylvania, for instance, have been the subject of some concern about the, their, the status of their election systems and, and how secure they are. So we were just trying to focus it in on the states which where the the this you know, that will be decisive in the in the fall election. So that was the underlying thinking. Yes, I think, you know, the the, the concern is is nationwide. And, you know, that's why Congress first allotted three hundred and eighty million dollars in uh, money to the states uh, in 2018 for election security grants. And then just in the deal, the budget deal that was just passed over the holidays for this year, they added another $425 million. So, and that money is divided up proportionately among the states. 
So, you know, larger states are getting larger chunks of money. And, and so that money has been used to do a lot of different things to, uh, you know, deal with some of the concerns that people have had. Yeah. So one of the, the facets of, of our, our election system, I, I don't know if it's a feature or a bug, you can maybe tell me, but, you know, every state does things differently. So are there, there any trends here to, to actions that states are taking to improve sure, security? Sure. Absolutely. I think that the thing that people, you know, the, the kind of touchstones that every election security expert I've heard speak talks about are you need two main things. One is a election system that creates a paper record of some sort so that when you uh, cast your ballot, you have a piece of paper and they have a piece of paper that shows what you intended to do with your vote. And that way they can check it against what the actual results are and make sure that there wasn't some problem in the way it was counted. And the second part of it is our, our audits, which are after the election is done, they can go back and, and actually check the results versus the ballots themselves. Now, in a, in a state like Pennsylvania, they aren't going to really have time or want to necessarily go back and check every ballot uh, against the actual count. So there's this idea or concept called a risk-limited audit where they can identify the statistically significant number of ballots that they need to check in order to be sure that the election results are accurate. And so that's what is also recommended. So the two things are the paper, piece of paper, some kind of a paper record. And the second one is, are these audits. And so if those two things are in place, the uh, folks will say that that's pretty much what you need to do. Because the, the, the irony for, for me is that when I started covering elections, there were mechanical machines and everybody wanted to make these advancements to computerized voting. Well, now we're kind of going backwards a little bit in technology. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I, yeah, I mean, I remember the, you know, touchscreen voting and all this. And I guess yes. some of that, some of that will still be there, but there will just be that kind of paper trail you you yes. were saying sort of on the back end. Right, right. I, the biggest concern is, and they talk about this all the time, is any uh, voting aspect of the voting system that ha may or be connected or could be at some point connected to the internet creates a vulnerability. So if, for instance, when you go into the voting site and they have a, 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 a small uh, iPad where they have the voter registration rolls, if that's connected to like a general database, maybe in another location, that can create a vulnerability. The, you know, the, the actual uh, reporting of the results from the voting site back to the clerk's office if that's done through the internet, that can create a vulnerability. So they have to be aware of any opportunity where somebody could break into their uh, voting systems. And it's more than just the actual ballot casting systems. It's the voter registration rolls as well and the systems by which they report the results so that the public can know at the night of the election who won. 
Sure. And as you know, we, we hear a lot about the government in general being, you know, always like several versions behind in terms of technology or just kind of, you know, using systems from the 90s and 2020, things like that. So is is there the the expertise and kind of the, the infrastructure to, to support some of these these changes that have had to happen, you know, fairly quickly as far as government processes go just over mm. in like a year or two, sit, sure. you know, kind of get ready for November? There, the answer is kinda. <laughs> in some in some places, there are um, you know people with that expertise, but obviously, the the thing that people have to understand is elections are a locally run operation. So you don't just have one unified system in a state, and you don't have one obviously nationally. So you know there is a variety of expertise around the country, and one of the things that states have been trying to do is deal with that by creating positions within the state that act as sort of resource folks, uh, you know, in information technology resource people who can be called upon if somebody in a local election office doesn't quite understand some aspect of the technology, they have somebody that they can call who can help them out. So that's one of the things that's happened in the uh, in this last couple of years as far as the people that are being hired and added in some state offices. The thing that you have to understand and the public needs to understand is it's not necessarily a problem with the way uh, technology is in election systems. It's basically the the security technology, as this one uh, particular election security expert testified at, at something I was at, said that the election security or any kind of computer security technology has not caught up to the ability of people to break into computer systems. And of course, everybody has seen these uh, instances all over the place where businesses, banks, insurance companies have had their uh, computer systems attacked. So it's not just a problem or an issue with election systems. While it is true, many of them are, are, are quite out of date. It's this the idea and the reason that people want to go back to having a paper record is is that it's going to be a while until the security systems that are available uh, are going to be able to defeat those folks that are trying to break in. I know that states are are really being proactive about communicating this this work that they're doing, I think yeah. in part to help kind of reassure the public that yeah. yes, this is safe, this is secure. But but you know, I also wonder like the more that's out there about like the the specifics of these changes, the more that people who seek to interfere will know exactly what's going to happen. Is there yeah. is is that part of the 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 calculation at all? Like how much to to share or not? You know, based on on who who might be reading or watching or, or finding this type of information. There, yeah, there is a tension there between transparency and security. The way it's been expressed recently was. When um, it sort of came out after the fact that there was uh, attempt and successful break-in of basically the the kind of the personal or work computers in some uh, Florida election department offices, not anything to do with the actual election system, just it, it was one that somebody who worked in that office was was working on, and they kept that very secret. And then the, when they when the governor found out, he was quite frustrated and and went to the FBI. And anyway, they made they told him and a few selected people what had happened and where. 
but then he was sworn to not to secrecy. He couldn't tell the public, which was very difficult for people to to follow. So I do think that to agree with, I think there is that concern that you want to know what's going on in this area in particular, but you also don't want to give away how it is that you're you're doing your job to protect this system. And I really think, though, that the people who would be the the players in trying to do this, they clearly know sort of what's available and 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 the and the technical aspects of what is going to be done is part of the public record in the sense that it's probably pretty well known by everybody out there. I don't think there's a huge number of secrets that uh, are in this area that would be be able to uh, you know make a difference of any sort to somebody trying to hack into a a system even to to this day. So that's kind of the way that that works. There is a tension there, but I'm not sure how much of a difference it's, it makes. Right. Yeah. No. That 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 definitely makes sense. Um, so as we we look at these these reforms, kind of state by state, is there a state or or several states that are kind of leading the charge, or maybe that that everyone's kind of looking to as as a model of of what to do? The one that I hear the most about is Colorado. And the reason for that is that they went to paper ballots or, you know, a ballot system or voting system that creates a paper record. And, and they were the ones that man one of the first to mandate these risk limited audits after every election. And they, you know, I think that um, they're considered to have a pretty well run operation and sort of a uniformity of belief and a bipartisan support for some of these things. I think the places where this happens that where it's going well are where there's an agreement that you know no matter what your political outlook is or what candidate you're going to vote for or who you support that we have to you know come together and make sure that uh, these systems are 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 secure you know i think in some places uh, people may have public officials may have been you know, put in a, a position where they were trying to buy new equipment and they were told by a vendor something about the security aspect that may may or may not have been true. And, you know, so I think these local officials are kind of learning on the job. You know, I know Pennsylvania has gone through a process where every voting machine in the state has been replaced and the governor had ordered that and there was some resistance, I think, among some counties. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we actually did an episode of our show. We had Kathy Bookvar, who at the time right. was heading up the the Election Modern, Modernization Committee. She's now, of course, Secretary of State. Right. But yeah, she talked about her traveling throughout the state, trying to make the case for for some of these reforms and kind of the, the, the hard work that goes into that. And I think the reason for that is that there's people, these uh, election offices are very proud and, and independent and aren't really... You know, it can be hard sometimes when people come along and try to make suggestions or recommendations. Um, You know, there really is a a local control to this, which, you know, some people, I think, wish there was more of a federal or at least a state level uh, uniformity that could be imposed. But I know that just from a political standpoint, you know, these uh, election offices, again, they're very proud of how they what they do and how hard they work. And they are very protective of their political turf. And so you you when you're in a position like 
she was in, you have to be very diplomatic when you're trying to get people to make changes. Yeah. And that, that kind of ties back to, to what we were talking about before about this, these issues kind of becoming politicized. You were saying about, you know, the the voter rolls, cleaning those up has certainly be, become politicized. Um, has has this this issue of, of election security gotten caught up in that at all? I mean, my my perception, someone on the outside is that it, it hasn't. It has managed to stay kind of a, a bipartisan or, or nonpartisan type of effort to, to make sure that the, the voting apparatus and, and your voting mechanisms are secure. I think you're right. I mean, it's from what I can see, it's, I mean, I guess you could say that, you know, there's probably politics and partisan politics these days in almost anything, but it's it's among the least partisan of the of the issues. And I think it's because of the great level of concern that's out there. I think there's certainly different policy positions on how to address it, you know, whether to have a consistent funding mechanism from the federal government or whether that should be something that you know that's left more to the local to the states and the local governments. So one of the things that Republicans, as part of their just general philosophy, is that you know they have a concern about federal control uh, of ele- local elections, in that they believe that you know that the that the decision making should be left at the at the local level. So they're concerned that if there's money coming from the federal government, there'll be conditions attached to it. You know, if it starts becoming that way then you know there are concerns but you're right i think it's it's pretty bipartisan now i think that the partisanship could reemerge depending on what happens in particular states and who if there is problems which party is considered to be responsible let's say if it's a republican secretary of state are they going to blame that person and make it into a partisan issue if there are problems with the voting systems on election night right so thinking about this now from from a, a voter's perspective, I, I know as, as we've been talking about, things are different state to state, municipality to, to municipality. But, you know, thinking like across the board, will there be any substantive changes, you know, based on on some of these these enhanced security measures? Well, well, will anything be different about the actual voter experience in in the voting booth? Well, there's a couple of things. Yes, I think the answer is yes. I think one of the things that's not getting a lot of attention now that's going to continue to emerge as an issue is that with the additional steps and concerns about security, there's real, real and with a huge turnout, you're going to have a combination of lots of people and longer, you know, system, a longer bit of time to vote if you actually vote on election day. But they're talking about 18 percentage point increase from the last presidential. And if that was, if he took like the Obama election, first Obama election, or just the most recent election, you'd be talking about turnout in the range of 80%, which is Never wow. not been seen since the late nineteenth century, and that really doesn't count because you know women didn't have the sure. vote and and African Americans weren't really allowed access to the polls either, so it would be unprecedented and obviously, from a democracy standpoint, that's a great thing you know to get more people out voting, but if you can't handle it and if it's considered to be a burden. And there's questions about whether people were all got, got access. Then you sort of have another, you know, issue of credibility and confidence am, among the public. 
you know, there may be a lot of people there, but if the polling places run properly, they can process them in a quick manner that will keep it moving. And then people realize that they aren't going to be there all day. It may be just a matter of 20 minutes or something and not a matter of just standing there and, and not appearing to have any progress being made. Yeah, have to put in like those screens at Disney World that tell you like <laughs> how long it takes you to yeah, get yeah. a ride or whatever. That wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, really, or, you know, they're talking about actually they're talking about, you know, if that's the case that they sh- people should arrange to have, you know, entertainment like local marching bands or something, to, you know, because this should be a a celebration. You know, this this is the kind of the high point of the democratic process is the voters being able to cast their ballots. And so if it is going to be a little bit of a wait, you know, why not have something that keeps people distracted and makes them smile or, you know, at least makes it a little more tolerable. Yeah. Yeah. Places for kids to play. Exactly. All those, all those yep. Kind of things. Yep. Exactly. So, so I know that, you know, we won't really know for sure if if all these these changes work until obviously after the first Tuesday in, in November and, you know, everything happens. But um, you, you mentioned that that hacking conference earlier. Are there other things that that states and localities are doing to try to to, to run simulations or to, to try to test this in advance of November? Yeah, there's uh, there are places that are doing you know, kind of stress test type, type of, of things where they they have people with expertise that will go go in and and kind of do a security check of, of the systems to see whether or not the, they're set up in the right way, whether or not the people that are running them, you know, are doing the right things, and then they can adjust. I mean, I, I don't think there's going to be anything that can simulate a presidential election. And so... Uh, you know, I think that's just going to be the time. And, and, and this is the way it always has been with elections. You don't really know what you're going to have happen or what's going to happen until until you get to that day. And, you know, those people that run them really have to be able to adjust quickly. And one of the things they've talked about is the ability of people to react to problems in a, an efficient way, because they're, what they're saying is, is that with all the new equipment that's going to be used, with all the new systems and processes that are in place, it's inevitable that there's going to be some kind of glitch. And it may not have anything to do with, you know, a security breach or anything. It, can, it could just be, you know, people having problems with a new piece of equipment they're dealing with they haven't used before. But the point that they make is that there has to be an ability to for people to kind of keep their heads about them and to be able to solve the problem and move on and give the voters a sense of confidence that if there is a problem, it's being dealt with and, and it'll be taken care of. Well, Bill, uh, thank you for, for all the work that, that you and your, your colleagues yeah. are doing at the Fulcrum. And yeah. uh, thank you for joining us today on Democracy Works. Enjoyed it very much. Take care. Well, that was a very interesting interview, and uh, as we mentioned a little bit before, they're doing really interesting work. Over well, and, and some of this stuff is just very scary, right? I mean, the story about the hackers who, within an hour, days. That's, that's why we have our podcast. Yeah, so of course. Everybody's you, you, level no, all we do is just reinforce their fears as opposed to <laughs> alleviating them. But that's anyway. He, what made, are you he do? made a really good point. I think it's important, and when we think about conducting elections in the United States. And and that is, there's good reason 
especially after 2018, with everything that's going on, to expect very high turnout in this mm-hmm. election. I've seen several pollsters who have yeah. said that, you know, that is their expectation. Unprecedented is what they On, on both yeah. sides. Mm-hmm. On both mm-hmm. sides. I mean, Democrats kind of came close to a presidential election level turnout right. in 2018. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and Republicans were. It is not actually necessarily a predictor, but there are a lot of signs out there. there it would be it, at this point. I think I would be surprised and if he, it were he, not a record turnout. Well, there's going to be long lines because this high turnout and, combined with inadequate facilities, or no, and a heightened concern for security. Yes, I mean, so it takes it, longer to get into everything. It takes longer to get in. There's going to be double checks. He's thinking that some of this technology is going to be new trying for the first time. There's going to be breakdowns. There's going to be confusion. But the, um, but the key and, and to every, it is that there aren't going to be enough voting booths for the number of people. Oh, that could be too. Yeah. Right. And, the, and, and so I don't actually think it's okay to just say people still get used to being online for three hours. I think this is something that we ought to be demanding better. And I, and I think there's also another issue to it too. Those three-hour lines, which we will see, mm-hmm. are going to be in the heart of Cleveland. Uh-huh. Okay, they're not going to be in the Cleveland suburb. And so your argument is that, look, you know, there are people who uh, will wait all day in the hot sun to vote because it's the first time to do it. Suck it up and, and, and just do your democratic duty. Look, we know that some people will vote for, wait for hours and hours. In South Africa, when Mandela no, was first I'm, released, yeah. they mm-hmm. waited online for over 24 hours. Yeah. And during the Obama uh, election, people were waiting online for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, there's something noble about that. And I, I get it that for some people, the vote is so important. But, you know, some people just have to get to work. Mm-hmm. And some people have to get to their kids. Mm-hmm. And it, there is there are definitely disparities in who can afford to wait online for uh-huh. three hours? And I think, and who's going to be asked to stand online for mm-hmm. three hours? I see. It returns us to the question that comes up pretty often is, why is Election Day not a holiday? Well, there's a lot you of know, reasons It for should that, be a day off. Of it's just inertia. The other thing about having a day off is one reason that you have big backups of polls. Like, I'm able to go to the polls mm-hmm. at 11 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. or, or, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. There's not anybody there. Sure. But if I had to go at 5 o'clock when my shift or ended. Or 8 before it you know, started. If yeah. I had a real job and mm-hmm. had a shift mm-hmm. and had to go then, that's when everybody else that's is That's when there. everybody goes, yeah. A holiday, people can go throughout the day. Yeah. So, I mean, there are ways to deal with this issue. I hope that Bill and others, you know, become vocal advocates for the idea that this is actually an outrage. Easy voting alleviates quite a bit of the burden because it means that you have fewer people that have to vote on election day. Sure, sure, yeah, and and it does. Um, oh, we could go through a whole bunch of ways address some of this, these convenience issues yeah. too, right? If you uh, know that you're going to have childcare issues and work issues, you know, if you can do it beforehand on, on a Saturday. Again, a lot of these have been restricted lately because it does you know voting on sunday after church that was seen as bringing in way too many african-americans well, in some places in yeah in, in in many places yeah. but i do feel like um it, it's unrealistic to expect things this uh fall this november to go smoothly and given the stakes i think it's just all the more incumbent on people to just be willing to accept that if and to the degree that they possibly can. And both sides should be sure to hire plenty of lawyers. (laughs) Welcome to America. Yeah. (laughs) 
All right. Well, um, it'll be interesting to see how many of these uh, predictions turn turn up, uh, and to what degree they are. Because it, uh, but it's clear that there's a lot of attention. And again, as you say, uh, thanks to Fulcrum for for um, for highlighting these and bring, keeping them keeping the politicians' feet to the fire. So, anyway, for Democracy Works, I'm Chris Beam. I'm Michael Berkman. Thanks for listening. Democracy Works is produced by the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State and WPSU Penn State, Central Pennsylvania's NPR station. Andy Grant is our engineer, and our editors are Mark Stitzer and Chris Kugler. Additional support comes from Ann Danahay, Emily Reddy, Shireen Stanford, Craig Johnson, and the rest of the team at WPSU. For more information on this episode and detailed show notes, visit our website at democracyworkspodcast.com. And if you like what you heard today, please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.